The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 41 of the On The Banks podcast. 41 episodes through, and we have so many great guests planned as we get ready for the 2019-2020 Rutgers Athletics year. Make sure to keep up with all of the guests planned by following On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. You can, of course, listen to all of our episodes on a variety of podcast platforms. You can go to SoundCloud by searching OTB underscore SB Nation. You can find us on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts by searching On The Banks Podcast. And, of course, you can find all of our episodes at OnTheBanks.com. We as Rutgers fans know that more news is going to happen in the summer. It's inevitable. So make sure to follow all of the news and get all the coverage surrounding it by going to onthebanks.com. We are into the summer months, but there has been over the last few weeks, as I said before, tons of news to digest regarding Rutgers Athletics. Joining me to discuss all the news is, of course, NJ.com columnist Steve Politti. With so much happening, it's great to be able to jump around from topic to topic instead of just sitting and discussing one specific thing. After all, this is Rutgers University still. Things arise out of nowhere to surprise us fans all the time. There has been no shortage of surprises over the last few months, both good and bad, and hopefully only positive surprises are soon to follow before the summer ends. But until those instances come about, listen as Steve Politi and I discuss this summer so far for Rutgers Athletics. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host. Lance Glenn. You can, of course, read him at NJ.com, covering a multitude of topics, one being Rutgers Athletics. He's been a frequent guest of the podcast, and of course, I want to congratulate him, albeit a little late, for being recognized back in March by the Associated Press Sports Editors as the top sports columnist in the country. I am now pleased to be joined by Steve Police. Steve, as always, thanks for coming on. Glad to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Lance, and thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that. Now, you know, in the past, we've had you on to mainly discuss Rutgers football. You know, we've gone kind of a couple weeks where we'll, we'll talk about the Kansas game last year, Buffalo game. But for now, with obviously no games coming up anytime soon, we're going to kind of jump around topics. We'll talk a little about football and we'll hit on that program later. But we're going to start off with basketball and we're going to begin with the biggest story really the last few weeks for Rutgers and that was Eugene Omarui's transfer and now it happened a couple weeks ago obviously and we've all kind of had our time to think about what it really means why he may have done it you know what it what it says about uh, the team going forward into next year but when you first found out when you woke up to the news that he's moving on uh, what were kind of your initial reactions and now that you know he's going to Oregon how has that reaction kind of changed, or when you really got to think about it, did that reaction at all change? You know, the initial reaction was the, the old Indian burial ground. 
<laughs> you know, the rack is built on the Indian burial ground. <laughs> it just seems like the moment you the moment you've got that, you finally have positive momentum. And I was actually talking to Dave White, of course. I'm sure you know, great Rutgers. Have had him on the podcast many times. Sure. Yeah, and it, it was just the the point being that all right. So the best thing that that that. Michael had done really in a lot of ways was keep the team together. You know, it's like you forget about that. That that was a huge issue for every coach. I mean, you know, Mike Rosario. Let's go through all the names. Rutgers fans know the, the guys who've transferred. So it, it just was this moment, like, hey, look, good for him. He's recruiting his own team. He's keeping kids here. And then wham, you know, <laughs> the the star, the best player in the team, is announcing he's going elsewhere. So it was just kind of a. I think it blindsided them too, from what I from what I've heard, from, from all all evidence points to the fact that they completely did not see this coming. So you know, it makes you wonder what happened behind the scenes, you know, to make Gene want to want to leave. Uh, you know, I, I will say this: like, I know the, the initial thoughts were, well, it's got to be you know, tampering, nefarious, something going on here. I will say that it, it's the culture of the sport is changing to the point now where everyone's trying to go someplace else, and it can, can cult, in the culture of college sports, you know, it's just kind of the nature of what's happening. It's like free agency the same way in the NBA, and so I wonder if just part of that he just you know decided the grass is greener someplace else. He, he's get you know he's going he's going to try to pursue a pro career and, and just you know and just went for it. Um, I think it's disappointing because because the uh, if he really was a good representative of the program, he. You know, he's not just a great player, but I think everyone liked him. So uh, it's a tough one. There's no way to sugarcoat it, really. Now, you know, look, my reaction was obviously shock, you know, like you mentioned. Some anger, I guess, a little bit. Disappointment as well. I think a whole lot of confusion, really. But as the day went on that day, I remember, you know, I woke up at about 6.30. I looked at my phone, and I was I was, I, I was blown away. I, I did not see that coming at all, like you said. Yeah. But as the day went on, you know, I kind of talked myself off the ledge, so to speak, and realized that while upsetting... This program right now is in a much better position to handle a loss like that than it has been really, you can argue, in the last 10 years at least. You know, considering the depth, how Coach Peichel has kind of built the program, you know, bringing in his players, keeping a good amount of his players. Would you say that, you know, while the loss is tough, it's not one that Rutgers can't rebound from? It's not one that Rutgers can't come back from and still rise up and get better next year? Right. I, I think I would agree with that statement, although it, it goes back to the, uh, you know, exchanging a, a, a sure thing for a lot of what ifs. You know, now we're at the point where you, you need guys who are on that team, who they're counting on developing, who haven't played yet, you know, to step into bigger roles. And I think the fact that he was such a good front court player, he rebounded well, he was a leader. These are things that are harder to replace than if he was, you know, in the backcourt guard and got more depth there. So, there, there are some intangibles there, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he has done, Tyco has done a good job of, you know, building the overall talent, and I think the fact that they finally are going to have a situation where they've got people competing for playing time, that's a huge thing. You know, practices are going to open up, they're going to have, you know, they're going to have multiple guys who are going to be striving to get time on the court, and, uh, you know, this does open up time for other people, but I think they much rather would have had him here when he could have, you know, fought for, you know, guys would have to fight for their own time and try to get on the court than, than lose him this way. But, you know, your point is taken, that it, it's easier now than it might have been, you know, three or four years ago, certainly. Now, I want you to kind of put yourself uh, in a fan's shoes, right? Would you be wary at all to think NCAA tournament this year? You know, obviously, talent is there even with the loss of Eugene. The team, I think, is better now than it was last year. 
But would you go as far, considering, look, it's been a long time since Rutgers basketball has just had a winning season, much less an NCAA tournament. Would you be a little wary to put big expectations on this team entering, you know, Peichel's fourth year? Yeah, I would be extremely wary. I don't think fans should be thinking that. And, you know, you look around, that I, I really do believe that, you know, this next step is going to be the harder step to take. The step from, you know, a team that's competitive, that finally plays hard every night, that beats a ranked team at home, that does the little thing. All right, so now, you know, to take that step to the point where, you know, you're winning Big Ten road games, and you're beating ranked teams, and, you know, you're flirting with the top 25, and you're getting into the, you know, that's what NCAA tournament team is. Uh, I don't, I don't think, I, I think it's possible that they can be on the bubble. I think it's possible, certainly, that they should be in contention for the NIT, that people should be thinking about the postseason. But I think it's a little bit much to expect, you know, this team with as much youth as it has and, you know, blending into newcomers and considering, you know, and for all the talk we, we have about, you know, how much improved it is, it hasn't shown in the record yet at all. <laughs> you know, it's still, they're still in a position where they're, you know, they're fighting to get out of the, big, the basement of the Big Ten. So I think that it, that would be unreasonable to expect next year, yes. Now, you know, you mentioned the, the kind of Indian burial ground, right, you know, regarding why Eugene left. But in your opinion, you know, why does this happen just so often for Rutgers? I think with a lot of sports um, at the university, as fans, we see the hope. We see the light at the end of the tunnel, and then boom, something out of nowhere happens to darken that light, whether it was, you know, football from, I believe, two summers ago with, you know, all, all the arrests and everything like that. Why at Rutgers does something like this transfer seem to be so common? And I'm going to kind of put you on the spot because I don't think anyone has ever come up with an answer for it yet, but how... Do you have any ideas how to stop it? Because if you did, you know, I, I would love to hear them. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a great, it's a great question. I, I don't, I, it's, it, you know, I think you stop it by, by reversing the culture to the point where, you know, Rutgers is more of a destination and they are winning. I mean, it is something that, that, that matters. And you know what? I mean, for all we talk about this, this, this stuff wasn't happening when Greg Shannon had it going with football. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And I think that's just, that's just part of it. Don't, make sure that when kids look for like the greener pastures, they don't have to look further than their campus. And it's very hard to do. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, the only reason why people fans feel this way is because it's happened so many times. I mean, that's it. It's just uh, in basketball. I mean, you could go to the list of all the stars, but you know, football too. And I think that that's something that, you know, the transfer portal is going to be a, a, a big deal now. And I, I thought it was very telling and, and kind of disturbing as well, that's the right word, but certainly, uh, not good <laughs> when you lost a captain like Jackson and off, off, off the offensive line, you lose a tight end with, you know, and I we've got, took some uh, grief about this on Twitter, but who I, everyone believes got, you know, pro potential. When you lose two of your three best players in offense in football in the offseason, all right, what, well, what's going on? You know, what's the reason for that? And I think it's just players who, you know, see that they can have a, they have a better opportunity someplace else and, you know, they, it's, it's a culture now, the NCAA, is, it's movement is much uh, more accepted and more, uh, you know, the, the rules are certainly what they are now. I, it just, you kind of make it so kids don't want to leave. It's very hard. You know, I'm, I'm not saying it's easy. I don't, I don't know the, the short-term answer, but I think certainly, you know, <clears throat> winning, winning cures a lot of that and, uh, and making sure that your players don't look around and, and see greener pressures elsewhere is a big part of it. Yep. So let's move away from basketball now. You know, about a month ago, Rutgers and, you know, athletic director Pat Hobbs, they unveiled kind of a long-range strategic vision, right, for the athletic department as a whole. 
Obviously, so much of that vision depends on the success of the major revenue sports, but upon when you first saw it and were able to dissect it after the release, what was your opinion on, one, the release of a plan like that in general, and two, its contents and, of course, what it you know ultimately said? Yeah, you know, I have no problem with uh, them releasing a plan. Pat Hobbs mentioned this early on, that he was stunned that it hadn't been done, that, you know, I had a conversation with him in his office as soon as he took the job, and he, he remarked that, you know, it was it was sort of jarring that there wasn't, you know, a documented piece of paper saying what we're going after. Uh, you know, the one thing, I, one problem I had with the plan, I thought was short on, on specifics. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, here's what we plan to do. wasn't a lot of, like, lofty, you know, goals on, on improving the facility, stuff like that. It was really, it was really very... Uh, vague, which I understand, but but still, there there's some element where I was hoping to see, well, gee, we want a field house by 2025, or we want we want a new rack by 2035. <laughs> so, you know, stuff where you're like, okay, well, gee, that's interesting. There wasn't a lot of that in there, which I got kind of get because people can hold you to those dates. Uh, so that was the, that was the one thing that I thought was was missing with it. But overall, I mean, it's good. You should have, you know, it's it's a statement, it's a statement, it's something that they put out there. But overall, you're right when you say that fans really. I don't think anybody cares what's in that thing. They, they care what the win-loss record for the football team is. Yeah, and like I said, you know, the revenue sports, uh, that really drives the ship, as everyone likes to say. No matter what you do in softball, lacrosse, uh, even wrestling to a certain extent, you know, football and basketball are the two that drive the ship. What do you think about that whole concept, though? I mean, look, football obviously is the revenue-making sport. Basketball, like football, is the revenue-making sport. Does that kind of push away other sports and kind of make them, I guess, not less important, but, you know, not obviously as looked as highly upon as those two bigger sports, considering, you know, you look at this past Rutgers year, there were some really successful programs that, you know, didn't get the same amount of limelight that a basketball or, you know, a football did, obviously yeah. football on the other end, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, there's no question that no sports never will, but, you know, two things I think we learned from Rutgers this year. Number one was, you know, a sport like wrestling can create, and you know, it's not a, it's not an attention getting sport in a lot of campuses. It is at Rutgers because they're good. And they won national champions. And you see, you see what happens when you've got high-level athletes competing in a national, you know, for for, for championships. That people are gravitate toward it, even if they're not wrestling people. Uh, that's number one. And number two, I think what you've seen with Pat Hobbs is just very quietly, you know, ending the culture at Rutgers where these, you know, non-revenue sports coaches have like lifetime appointments. They're like Supreme Court justices. You know, <laughs> for years this has been the case at Rutgers where you know coaches have just you know, come to Rutgers to retire, and it doesn't matter if you win a lot of games, lose a lot of games. I mean, you know, and again, I don't follow women's lacrosse, but when you notice that the head coach, you know, sort of nudged out the door after 16 seasons in which she never made the NCAA tournament, you're like, 16 seasons? <laughs> that's my reaction. You know, I love people. You know, I get it that baseball, some people are angry about the baseball program, the fact that that, you know, that team seemed to be getting close to turning the corner, but again, didn't qualify for a conference tournament for five years. You know, stuff like that where you're like, okay, you got to demand excellence in all different areas. So I think that very quietly Pat Hobbs is doing that and he's making changes and he's, you know, making sure that, you know, people who, you know, the dead wood or, so, so to speak, people who can't overcome the obstacles at Rutgers are replaced with, with younger, you know, give, give someone else a shot. So I, mean, I think that's a, you know, that's a good development at Rutgers. You know, I think looking at the fall, winter, and spring seasons, as we've kind of been talking about overall, all the programs, 
this was probably the most successful year for Rutgers Athletics in the last at least five years since I first got to Rutgers as a freshman student back in 2014. Sure, football didn't achieve the success we had hoped, but we talked about wrestling achieved so much. Men's basketball progressed. Women's basketball made the tournament. Softball, field hockey, women's soccer, even rowing got in on the action towards the end of the year. Do you believe that even with the lack of success that football had, the other sports, specifically those who did make NCAA tournaments and were competing in conference tournaments, did they kind of pick up the slack and help change the perception of Rutgers uh, athletics overall? You know, I don't know that those sports can change the perception, sadly. And I, I because it's going to, you know, people aren't seeing, hey, rowing made the NCAA tournament. People just nationally aren't seeing that. People locally might, and I think it, I think it matters. I think it's good that, that teams have that success, but they're, they're more likely to see you know, uh, Rutgers with two for eight or two for whatever, for eight yards with five interceptions against Maryland, you know, than <laughs> they are, unfortunately, than they are to see. And it's just the, it's the reality of it. And it's, you know, it's just what we cover, what we pay attention to, what's on TV. So it's hard for that to happen. Um, you know, but I think, though, it does have an impact uh, internally because I think people, you know, people see this and they say, okay, well, you know, hey, look, Scott Goodell has done this without the facilities that he's going to have soon. He's managed to do this. He, you know, they, 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 they see women's soccer and they see, okay, now look, there's, there's, a, there's a leadership change in crew and all of a sudden they're, they're, you know, top 15 in the nation. That's stuff like that. I do think, you know, makes a difference for people inside that building. Uh, and I think that's part of what Rutgers needs. They need people who, you know, aren't completely yeah, people who can overcome the obstacles that are inherent with being at Rutgers. The, the facilities aren't the best. The, the history isn't the best, but all right, are you going to outwork people? Are you going to Steve Peichel? Are you going to be out there recruiting? Are you going to be, you know, when they see things like that, I think it helps overall. And, uh, you know, for, for loyal fans, sure. Why not cheer for your crew team? You know, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, you've got, I mean, why not? Why not be happy about women's soccer? It's, you should be. And hopefully there are more people who are diehard Rutgers fans and alumni who do see that. So let's talk about that revenue sport that we mentioned before, the one that supposedly drives the ship, and that's, of course, Rutgers football. So we're into the summer months, obviously, although it might not seem like it with all this rain. The first game against UMass is going to be here sooner than we think, and there's a lot of question marks, obviously, that still need to be answered. Before we discuss any specifics, I want to ask you about your opinion of what a successful season looks like for Rutgers uh, football. You know, obviously, 1-11 last year, all you can really do is improve. Considering the struggles that they had, is a successful season to you this coming year a bowl game or bust, or are your standards for a successful year a little lower, say four or five wins with like an upset sprinkled in? Well, not not to dodge the question, but I think there's a difference between what I would view as a successful season and perhaps what the Rutgers, you know, Rutgers <laughs> administration might view as a successful season. I mean, I think in year four you need to be you need to be competing for a bowl game. At this point, you need to have stopped the just the lopsided losses. You need to have a competent offense. I don't expect them to be, you know, you know the Houston, you know, the, whatever. You pick your San Francisco 49ers of the 80s. They can score points, pass the ball, complete, you know, expect things like that. I, you want to see showing promise and being in a position to get into a bowl game. That's, that's how I would see it. Um, you know, I get that the schedule is difficult, but, you know, you can look at it as well and say, all right, there are, I don't know, what would you say, seven quote-unquote winnable games on there? Yeah, I would, I would say so. You know, you take out the Penn, you take out the Ohio State, you take out the Michigan, 
Um, you know, there there are certain there are certain top team top teams that are obviously down this year too. So uh, and they almost beat Michigan State last year. You know, their their most competitive game. Uh, my, my 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 thing is fascinating about this. Obviously, this is a big year. Chris Ash must must show progress, or he's going to get fired. I think we all we all agree that on that. Uh, but trying to define what progress means is going to be very interesting. I don't think anything less than four wins, he'll be back. Uh, I certainly think four wins is the absolute borderline. Even then, in most scenarios, he should be fired with four wins. They've already done. They have. They won four year, four wins in 2017. They can't. You know, how can you show progress if you're doing the same thing again? So I think that's going to be interesting. <laughs> four wins. But here's the thing. Now, if you have four wins, can you start playing the okay? But we played, you know, three or four competitive games. I think that's going to be very fascinating to see how they define progress for this team. I mean, are you going to look at, well, we were right there in the fourth quarter with Penn State and only lost by 14, or are you going to see that as, well, you lost by 14? <laughs> it's gonna, I mean, it's going to be very, kind of, I don't know, it's going to be fascinating trying to just, you know, because you can view competitive, you know, that the, you know, I think we all know what it means, but you can certainly twist things. I had people, you know, fans, some fans, some people in the building think, well, we, we were competitive against Penn State last year. A couple of plays went, our, went differently. We had a chance to win that game. Like, I was there. No, you didn't. No. <laughs> like, I tell you. And it's interesting. But, yeah, I understand. Like, they had a – I remember they, they played with Geo in the end zone. He dropped, he dropped the touchdown pass. They would have gone up in that game. I get it. But still, you know, it, it was, or even the Northwestern game last year. It's funny. We talked about this. It's like they only lost 18 to 15. But – you know, Phil Northwestern had the ball the entire second half and was just kind of like running out the clock. You know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what they decide. Uh, you know, what they decide the measure is. I think we'll know pretty early on. You know, if they get blown out by Iowa and Boston College, it's going to be hard a hard sell. Uh, and I think the other part of this is there's going to be a lot of empty seats, and that and that that stands no matter what happens with this team. So. The fact that the fan base is sort of already done with Chris Ash is going to make it's going to put pressure on them if this team is or in the four and eight four and eight range to make a change. So I mean, it's again, it's going to be pretty compelling. I don't have a good answer for, for exactly what it is, what how you define success, but uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people uh, discussing what that answer is. Yeah, no, I, I think you mentioned the Iowa and Boston College games uh, very early in the season. I think within the first four or five games of the year that are similar to Buffalo and Kansas last year, which will really kind of tell the story um, of the season. But, you know, in order to improve and in order to progress, um, do you think that the brunt of that responsibility is solely on the quarterback position? You know, obviously it needs to get better significantly, regardless of who starts, whether it's Art or McLean Carter. But the offensive line obviously struggled at times last year. The receivers really couldn't get any separation. The defense improved as the season went on, but even they had uh, issues during the year. There were a lot of challenges, but do you believe it could be kind of as simple as the team will really improve if the quarterback improves? Is it that simple? Is it solely on either Carter or Sitkowski to get this team over that hump and to really help them to uh, to progress? I mean, it's not. It's. I don't think it's solely on them, but it, it, that's the biggest factor, clearly. And uh, although I will say this, and I, you know, I didn't see a lot from from Art last year to make me think he's he's going to take a major step this year. He's got all the talent in the world, but the turnovers were, were just deadly through in the coverage. Again and again and again, you know, the lack, that lack of accuracy is, is just something you can't have for a team that's, you know, living on the margins. And, you know, I, in a lot of ways, the Texas Tech kid, I kind of like him to, 
all right, so now you're buying, you're Chris Ash, you're buying lottery tickets, right? So <laughs> you've decided that you're just hoping that you can find something. You know, this kid was available for a reason. All these tran- you know, transfers coming to Rutgers are. So that's, that's important to remember. So, you know, again, the fact he did start the season for a Cliff Kingsbury team speaks to the level of talent. And certainly, you know, a coach who's now in the NFL saw something in this kid, uh, but he didn't finish the season. So we'll see what he's got. But, yeah, the quarterback position has got to be a lot better. But you mentioned it before as well. You know, I mean, the search for Rutgers used to have tons of good wide receivers. The search for, for a reliable wide receiver is you know who can get separation, who won't drop the pass, won't drop the ball, who can you know can make a play. It's just it's gone on forever. And they have they must have like twenty guys in camp. 20, uh, can they find two or three of them who can you know build you can build a good passing offense around? That's a huge factor. I think the offensive line is is going to be better. Although we think Jackson, you know that's that's a big question mark as well. But then the defensive line. I mean. Especially in the middle, is that going to be is that going to be up to Big Ten standards? Are they going to be, you know, even if Rutgers does get better offensively, are they going to be, uh, you know, finding themselves uh, getting run up and down the field by by teams with uh, with a good offensive line? So, uh, I mean, I, and it goes back that overall, there you go. There's there's so many questions still that we don't have an answer to, uh, and it's just hard to see. So I, my, what I have trouble with is hard to see all of these things that need to happen for this team to go six and six happening. So, Steve, a couple more before I let you go. You know, we discussed Eugene transferring before. Rutgers football mentioned some of the transfers uh, they lost and, and some they gained as well. Transferring, you know, even before graduating and being um, immediately eligible is is really taking over the college sports landscape, as we talked about earlier. Just what are your thoughts on the influx of transfers in both basketball and football? And do you foresee college sports, if it hasn't already, uh, basically becoming free agency where waivers will be given out for really anything, allowing kids to kind of transfer and play right away early in their careers? You know, that's, that's kind of a, the, the big question, right? And, and it goes back to, all right, so what is Rutgers going to be? Is Rutgers going to be the farm league for better power five teams? And it's, it's really a, like an interesting dilemma because, you know, uh, the only uh, on the one hand, I think that college athletes should be. I'm, if you're a student and you're a great cellist, you're allowed to go to school wherever you want to. And I think there should students should be. They're not. They're not paid. They're signed. They signed this document. They should be able to move freely. And I kind of understand where that's coming from. That the idea you're going to you're going to hold someone uh, in, in, into a scholarship and and you're seeing that what happens like when when a school does do this when they do you know, fight against these transfers, they're just publicly shamed on Twitter by guys like Jay Billis. So I think we're going to get to the point where it's going to be extremely difficult for a school to make the case not to let a kid go. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a big question for Rutgers now, you know? I mean, uh, are they going to lose? When they bring in a kid, they develop them. Are they going to lose it the same way that Stony Brook lost its best players as Keith Michael? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, it works the other way, right? So uh, Rutgers is pl- plucking kids from, you know, from mid-major, lower major programs that are talented. I mean, you know, that, that's a big blow. To, and, and Rutgers fans are very happy when they're out there. Hey, we got a good player from Stony Brook. Well, just the other side of it is that you are Ohio State Stony Brook. You know, yeah. they're coming in and they're going to take, take Jonah Jackson, the guy who, you know, is the best player on your offense. So it's uh, it really is an interesting thing. I'm not sure what the ultimate outcome is, but I really don't think it's going to trend in the other direction. Steve, last one, and this is more of a 
uh, less about Rutgers kind of question, more about your overall experience and, and a personal uh, personal answer. You know, you've been to many of the Big Ten schools. We talked a, bit, uh, talked a little bit about that uh, before the interview. As the sports director at WRSU my senior year, I finished up my four years, I think, going to 11 of the 14 Big Ten schools, including Rutgers. And my favorite, I'll, I'll, I always tell everyone, I went there three times, was Lincoln, Nebraska, by far. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. I'll actually be heading to Ann Arbor this time as a fan to watch Rutgers play Michigan this year. But in terms of your travels throughout the Big Ten, do you have a favorite Big Ten destination, and why is it you know that specific city or school? That's uh, that's a good one. I I can usually find something good about any place I travel if, if I'm only there for a short period of time. Like you, I really I loved. I enjoyed the stadium at Lincoln. I enjoyed the people at Lincoln. Uh, Ann Arbor, I think it's just a fantastic town. I had one Big Ten town to go to. I would go there for the restaurants, for the bars, for, you know, just the entire culture of, of that place is great. Uh, the only negative experience, oh, I should take that back. It, happy, it, Penn State's awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, and I hate to say it, but, like, there's no good hotels. There's no real good town. Even the press box. I, I remember even the, even the even the press box is uh, is a mess. Yes, that is my probably my least favorite one. I went to Champaign uh, for the Illinois game last year, and we were only there for a few hours, and that was kind of miserable. Uh, I like Indianapolis because you, I know, mean, like at Bloomington, you can stay in Indianapolis. And Indianapolis is really an underrated uh, like road city for for traveling with good hotels and good restaurants. Uh, I have not been to Wisconsin yet. I'd like to do that. Michigan State, we stay in Detroit, so that's kind of a wash for me. I really have not experienced Lansing <laughs> yet. So if I had to pick one, I guess I would say go to you know go to either Lincoln or go to uh, Ann Arbor. Those would be the two that I would uh, I would certainly recommend. I, I'm guessing that most uh, most workers uh, fans have reached that conclusion without my help. <laughs> <laughs> you can read him on NJ.com. Uh, Steve, once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have you on uh, before the season and, of course, during the season as well. Thanks so much uh, for joining me once again. No problem, Lance. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Steve once again for coming on the podcast and, of course, want to congratulate him once more for being chosen as the top sports columnist in the country by the Associated Press Sports Editors. Surprises, look, they're inevitable when it comes to records athletics, and we have seen so many already. We touched, both Steve and I, on the transfer portal, both in football and basketball, and the fact is, transferring after one, two, three years is becoming more and more popular among student-athletes. College free agency, or at least a manipulated version of it, is coming quickly and frankly may already be here. It's quite a surprise, but Rutgers has been on both ends of it. It has had some good for the Scarlet Knights, and of course it has had some bad. But one thing is for sure, we are only seeing the beginning of this transfer, really you can call it a revolution. Student-athletes are going to come to Rutgers and then leave after, as we've seen. But also, like we've noticed both this summer and in years past, others are going to originally go elsewhere and then join Rutgers during their careers. It's, It's frankly inevitable. It really is the future of college sports, and we as fans just have to get used to it, just as every college sports fan in the country does. Because it, frankly, is becoming the new norm throughout the country. And as we have seen this summer, it is becoming a part of so many programs. Not only at Rutgers, but throughout the nation. Look, as I said before, Rutgers has been both a beneficiary of it, and it has also hurt them very much. 
But the fact of the matter is that players are going to go, players are going to come in. That's how programs are being built now. And as we've seen with Chris Ash this past year, as we've seen with Steve Peichel, this transfer revolution, as I said before, is going to have a large impact, not only throughout the country, but here on the banks. Follow On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On the Banks Podcast.